As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So the pandemic hasn't been kind to many of us. I think we've all lost something over the last year and a half. What's something that you feel like you've lost in this last, uh, say, year and a half or so, Mike? Well, I mean, there there is a lot, like you said. I mean, I think if nothing else, we've lost time with certain friends and family that we were forced to stay apart from. Um, we couldn't bring the product community together in industry in over a year. I, I mean, I, it's not going to happen this year in person either. It's it's definitely been strange. Yeah. Well, one of our confessions today is about someone who lost not one, but two jobs during the pandemic. And they're now trying to get back on their feet, but 
they're struggling. That's a really tough situation. One that some people listening may be able to relate to is a long list of companies certainly cut back their workforce in the past year. Lots of really good people were laid off actually. Well, hopefully we'll be able to provide some guidance as we're also welcoming a very special guest, Ben Parr to the show. Ben Parr, all right, that is exciting. So let's get into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Okay, so our first confession today is from someone who lost not one, but two opportunities during the pandemic. And they're trying to piece that career back together. And to help us dissect this confession, we're excited to welcome journalist, author, venture capitalist, and entrepreneur, Ben Parr. Ben Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Ben. My original claim to fame in Silicon Valley is I was the co-editor and editor-at-large of Mashable, the technology news website. Ran the West Coast, opened the West Coast office, had a team of 50, wrote 2,446 articles in my three and a half years there. Afterwards, I did a column for CBS and CNET, did some investing, wrote a book for HarperCollins that did really well called Captivology on the science and psychology of attention and why we pay attention to certain people, products, companies, and ideas. Got to interview everyone from the world's top PhDs in attention and memory to Sheryl Sandberg, Stephen Soderberg, David Copperfield, and the creator of Super Mario, Shigeru Miyamoto. I joined a bunch of boards after the, bo- the book came out, like the board of directors of Samasource and the Lila Jana Foundation and the advisory board of Lufthansa. And then in 2016, I uh, went down the entrepreneurship rabbit hole. I co-founded a company called Octane AI, and we power the personalization and conversational commerce for thousands of Shopify brands and e-commerce brands all around the world. We're backed by General Catalyst, Boost VC, Bullpen, and a bunch of other amazing investors. And so I've been on all sides of the table in the Silicon Valley world. Okay, so let's hear this first confession, one we're calling two layoffs in a global pandemic. I worked at a small startup here in Nashville, Tennessee, on the marketing team. I was focused on PR and positioning the CEO as a thought leader in our space. I knew a job at a startup would be risky, but I needed something as I was a coronavirus cutback in mid-2020. The job itself was chaotic. Priorities were constantly changing. I spent most of my time trying to get a clear focus point from our CMO and CEO. It wasn't clear what exactly he wanted to be a thought leader on, as there was a new idea and angles every week. This was mostly based on what other CEOs he liked were being written about. Suddenly, he too felt like his opinion was just as important. That's a little harsh, and maybe I'm just bitter. I'll say I tried my best to keep up with the shifting priorities. Needless to say, after telling me that this thought leadership role was a major priority for them after just three months, they let me go. Telling me that they're no longer going to pursue thought leadership as a marketing strategy. Anyway, my question is, I now have two layoffs in the last year, and I'm looking for advice on how to frame this in upcoming interviews. This isn't a situation I'd wish on anyone. No, no, it's it's tricky. But Ben, what did you think when you first heard this? The very first thing that went through my mind is, you are not alone. Lots and lots of people have gone through this, especially in the last year. So like, you know, it's easy to feel a lot of shame or a lot of like, 
uh, other like feelings when something like this happens. And this is just entirely bad luck. And it happens and it's happened to a lot of people in the last year. So don't feel bad. Don't feel like you failed in some way. So that's like the first thing that immediately came to mind. Now, like in terms of actually like reframing it. So, you know, it almost doesn't matter what happened at the job and like why they laid off and all those sorts of things. You could take a couple of routes here. So, and this is like, there's no exact right answer. There's just a couple of different ways you can go. One is you can ignore like one of the like layoffs. So if it's only three months, it's not actually all that long. You can have it off the resume if you decide, just be like, you know, I worked with a like startup and like, you know, then I finished that, right? You can go as simple as that. And no one's going to really blink an eye to the idea that like you weren't working for a couple months or frankly that you were like maybe like just like helping a startup or consulting with a startup or however you want to go and frame that as accurately as possible. You don't have to say like, I got laid off twice if you don't want to. Now, the other option is to, you know, just be like, here's what happened the first one. Here's what happened to the second one. You know, here's what I have learned from those experiences. Here's like what I'm going to bring to the next place and using those lessons, you know, to make sure that uh, I help a company like for the long term. So like you can go either of those routes. I think it is always like if you talk about any life, you just talk about like, you know, like what exactly happened and what you learned from it and how like this company that you're talking to is very different in X and Y. Make sure you understand like what the pattern was in the last companies because more than anything, it's easy enough to honestly explain a way, explain this, whether it's like, here's what happened and here's what I learned or you just remove one of the two because three months is really not that long in the job market. But really more, I would advise, just look at what was the similar thing between those companies? Did they not have funding? Did they have like a specific issue? Did you do the reference checks? And make sure that the next company you join doesn't have those kinds of instability issues, right? A company that has venture backing from a reputable investor is probably going to be more likely to be stable. Reference checking with people who have worked there or worked with that founder is going to help you a lot with like deciding if you want to join a new startup. Joining a bigger company obviously can be less exciting in some ways, but will also give you stability in others. Just don't repeat the same mistakes you did before. You know, do your red like just as much as like. A employer is going to do a reference check on you. You should do your reference check on the employer as well. I love that because often people sort of forget about that part of it. That it's like they're getting the reference checks on us. Why wouldn't we be getting the reference checks on the companies from people that have actually worked there? So I love that you brought that up. I was going to just talk about the the talking about what you learned, right? Your your advice there, I thought was really relevant because I think a lot of people tend to focus on the story, but that could be a red flag if if their story is simply. You know, the CEO couldn't make up his mind and then he let me go. But if a candidate in an interview is talking about what they learned and what they took away and then what they can bring to the company that they're interviewing with, I think it's a really powerful tool in an interview to turn this situation around. Agreed. Absolutely. Talk about what you've learned and what how those lessons are going to help the next company you join. It's always about what can you bring to the table for the next company that you join. We will be right back after a quick break. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or 
invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Okay, so we're ready for our second confession. Although I suppose this is more of a question, really. True, yeah. It's it's really the age-old pricing question. So we're calling this one Priced Just Right. I have a side project that's focused on real estate developers. I've created a property zoning and land use search engine based on open source data provided by the local government. The data is raw and unusable for the average real estate developer, and I already have a few paying customers. I've been experimenting with different pricing models, but I don't feel like I've found the right one yet. I could branch out to other cities, but there's no standardization from local to local, so each would need to be a custom integration. Right now, it's a very specific local market, and there is a very small pool of potential customers. I'm debating whether to make it a lower-cost subscription service or a high-priced one off-solution. Customers have asked for both, which isn't giving me a clear signal of which way to go. Any thoughts on how to figure this out? Okay, so Ben, when you hear this one, what are you thinking? There's no such thing as nailing pricing. Pricing is an evolution constantly and constant iteration. If like, you should always be constantly testing and iterating on price, you know, no matter what. And the truth is like, you will never feel like you ever nailed it because you never actually do. Companies all the time hire consultants to go and help them like uh, update pricing. I We've updated our pricing multiple times as we've tried to get closer and we're not there yet at all. And it just always will be that way. So your struggle is not alone. So there are a couple key things that I like look and read uh, when I look at your thing. It's like small pool of customers. Some customers are willing to pay a lot of money. Lower pricing only really works when there's a larger pool of customers, right? If you're selling a piece of software to every small business in the world, you're like Zoom or something, you can have a lower price point because there's so many customers. You can go and scale and they will go and refer friends, et cetera. But when you have a small group of customers, you can't support a business on lower subscription unless you have a large pool of customers to go and pull from. But if there's a if it's providing super strong value and these real estate developers and others are willing to pay a higher price point, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to go and do that, especially if it is a limited pool of customers, because that also means there's a limited number of people who are doing something like this for them. And therefore, they don't really have that many options other than like try to go through the raw data, which sounds horrible. And is like a, like a good value prop of like, you don't know how to do that. I build software that does that for you. And just talk about it in terms of the value. So like the other thing is like, in terms of pricing, what's the value the customer is getting, right? Is the customer able to like, you know, close an extra like deal? And how much is that deal worth? Because of like, what's the ROI is like what I'm trying to get at here, right? If using my software increases, like gets you an extra deal and you make an extra $1 million, you should be taking a real cut of that. You shouldn't be saying like, I'll take $29 of that 1 million. You should be trying to take 100,000 of that 1 million. 10% of the value that you generate is not some crazy thing or 5% or 20% in some cases. It just depends. But 
I would go from the perspective of what's the actual ROI you're generating for your customers. Like map it out. Like because this product exists, your customer can do X when they couldn't before. And the result is they can now do Y. Is it that they save time? Is it that they close extra deals? Is it because of whatever? And then calculate what that ROI looks like. That's easy enough to justify to people being like, look, without this, you will make a million less dollars. With this, you will make a million more dollars. I'm super cheap in that like regard. No, it's a great, great perspective. I'd be curious, just how many times have you guys iterated on the price at, at Octane? since the beginning i don't know i don't know how many times so it's like it's not up so i don't even think about it as like how many times have we completely changed pricing more as yeah. like we constant iteration always doing a test always doing trying to do something and frankly probably not even doing it enough we're going you know trying to do that in like larger like i'm trying to make it so that it's not like here's a big project as much as it is it's a constant iteration constant analysis you know lots of people have a lot like the main levers that grow your revenue you know, people think a lot about uh, like the sales and the, like the sales team, and they think a lot about uh, like growing their existing customers, but they don't think a lot about like pricing as a lever and pricing is a huge lever and pricing is perhaps like one of the biggest levers. And you don't, most people don't even have someone or groups of people dedicated to it or are thinking about it constantly when you should be. Yeah, I can even on on my end, you know, I run a conference. That's our primary product. And it's that's a pretty simple revenue model. You charge a ticket price for a conference, right? I we're like 6 years in and pricing is still like one of the top things that we talk about. Like we feel like we haven't gotten it right. So, it just feel, I feel like it's just like a constant evolution and probably should be for any kind of company. I'd imagine anyway. Yeah, it, it entirely depends. Like and it's also about how you justify the price, right? Because you could say like, look, my conference costs $10,000, but you're gonna go and get a close a deal or have an investor or something that's going to be worth $5 million. Sounds pretty sounds pretty like a great deal at that point, right? Versus like, uh, you're gonna, like, like that, that makes it sound like cheap in that perspective. It is about perspective and about how you like sell the value and what the value actually is. We'll be right back after a quick break. Okay, now it's time for the two big takeaways to end the episode. One of my favorite parts of the show now. All right, well, then you can do us the honors this time and you can kick it off this week. All right, I'll, I'll take mine from the second confession. The pricing is tricky and it's a job that's never done and that's not always how I have thought about pricing. It's kind of a set it, forget it. Um, but markets evolved, competitors shift, their strategy moves, new companies enter the market. So you should be shifting your pricing strategy along with that. We all stress about pricing. We also act as if we can't change it once we've set it. And this is simply not true. So we should be rigorous in our price testing early on, but not be afraid to adjust it a bit along the way. All right. That's good guidance for sure. So great takeaway there. Um, I'm going to take mine from that first confession, two layoffs in a global pandemic. What my hope is in this situation is that our humanity will show itself during this time. And instead of putting the usual red flags on applicants, we can be a little more understanding with each other moving forward. We just collectively survived a global pandemic. And I think we can be understanding that not everyone was able to make it out unaffected. And some of us were casualties of the greater economy. 
This doesn't mean that they did anything wrong. There are forces much bigger than them at play here. So as we start to open back up, start growing our teams and hiring again, let's be kind to those that had to go through some of those difficult situations. That relates as much to this confession as it does to parents who needed to leave their jobs to take care of their kids or care for family members. We all did the best we could. Now let's help each other get back on our feet. Very well said, Mike. Until next week, we've been Michael Saka and Mike Balsito for Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com. 